Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Welcome back to the Life as Leadership podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing Monday's interview with Pat Flynn. Joining me back in the studio to discuss it today are my friends and fellow leaders, Bevelyn Thornton and Elijah Friedman. So what did y'all think about the interview? It was really practical. It seems like that's what Pat does best. This was my first introduction to him, but he had a wealth of wisdom that was actionable. I thought that was really helpful. And undergirding all of it seemed to be this this philosophy he has of be who you are, but be who you are to benefit other people. And I loved seeing how that came through in different areas that he talked about. Yeah, and for for people who are not really interested in starting an online business or who aren't super interested in entrepreneurship in the certain niche, they won't know about him. But if you have any interest in those areas, Pat Flynn is, is the man. And I was really excited to have him share because a lot of what he shared really does, like you said, that's who he is. And he he exists to help other people, and he's done that so well, and that that's why he's been so successful. Yeah, a lot of it is character-driven. Like, the two things that stuck out the most throughout the entire interview um, was trust and genuineness. Be who you are, and then people who like that will be naturally drawn to you, and you'll develop your fans. Yeah, so, so one of the things I was interested to hear from him about is how comfortable he's felt showing his personality and maybe even quirkiness in front of his audience and when he's either speaking or just through his podcast and things like that. And it was, it was neat to hear from him on that. I'm wondering how comfortable do y'all feel showing your personality and quirkiness in front of people, especially when you are in that leader role? I think I'm I'm pretty boring. I'm not sure if I have enough quirkiness to really (laughs) be attractive, but I, I do try to uh, I'll be authentic when I share and I have an opportunity to get up in front of people every week and, and speak for 30 minutes. I'm a, a pastor, so I'll get up and, and share a message every week. And so I try to, in that time, be, be real about what my week was like, you know, laugh at the, laugh at the things that have happened recently or in my past that, that may not reflect the best on me, but are fun and people can relate to. So I, I try to do that, but I think sometimes I'm not quite sure what it means to be fully open about my quirks. What does that look like? And it seems like Pat has a really good grasp on, who he is and then how to share that with other people. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think whenever I'm, you know, in a leadership role, it's just naturally I have to show who I am. I am a bit reserved, um, but at the same time, my little quirks, things that I think are funny that nobody else thinks are funny, just come out. And I'm like, oh, no, I probably shouldn't have said that. But I think that at the same time can draw people who are like minded. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, that, in that sense. So it makes them feel more comfortable. If I'm comfortable failing, as Pat said, or just making mistakes or just being who I am, then they can be comfortable in the same sense. So Pat shared about his new book, Superfans, is coming out in August. And the idea of Superfans is all about creating connections with people who will support you and what you do and who are, are, are behind you, whatever you do. 
Now, in business, you want super fans. I'm wondering about how to think about super fans in the context of leadership, though. Is it the same, or or how do we how do we develop super fans or its nearest equivalent as leaders? The final book suggestion he gave at the end of the interview was how to win friends and influence people. And for all that could be said, pro or con about that book, I think what the heart of it is what it gets right, which is show interest in other people, care about other people, help other people first, and that's going to rebound back to you with some positive things. So even if it's creating a super fan is as simple as treating people well, respecting people, honoring people, loving people, helping them out when they need help, extending something to them first, I think that's a good place to start. Uh, it, it'll look a little different interpersonally if you don't have an organization online space to work out on like Pat does. But I think that in and of itself, you, you'll see a big difference in your life if you just practice those principles. I think being that servant, like you mentioned, Elijah, um, loving on people, helping them, being attentive to what they need, helping them to do their jobs more efficiently in whatever you're leading them to do um, will help them become more of a fan of you, being genuine is really what it's all about, I think, is being a leader. is really the character of the person that makes them want to follow you. Yeah, and to that point, Bevelyn, Pat was talking about the reason that people begin to to follow you if you are are leading genuinely is because of that genuineness, usually. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then if you fail in the future, that's not necessarily a huge thing as long as you aren't changing who you are. Mm-hmm. If you mess up, people are, are likely to keep on following you because they didn't start following you just because of your success. Hopefully, they started following you because of, of who you are and your personality and what you stand for. And as long as that's not changing, there can be hiccups down the road and it doesn't have to tear your leadership apart whenever you have those failures along the way. Because you just don't start leading people when you become successful. Like there's a building up process to that. And are those people going to stick with you through that process? Yeah, yeah. And the, and the phrase that he used is your vibe attracts your tribe, which, yeah. I, which I love. He also has another phrase, the riches are in the niches. And uh, those are always... When it rhymes, it's better. Dr. Seuss has taught us that. <laughs> okay, so go- going off that, as a leader, especially if, if you're leading beyond just your interpersonal life, how do you balance creating those super fans for yourself and super fans for your organization or mission? I think that depends on the organization and the leader. When I'm thinking about someone like Pat or someone who starts a business, there's not necessarily a big difference between the business and the person who started it. So I think it's a lot easier to have that that alignment. People who are fans of an organization are usually a fan of that founder because mm-hmm. the organization, at least in the early days, has so much of the personality of the founder involved. Now, if you go down the line a few dozen years or a number of decades, then things start to change a little bit. I think that's a, a tougher question. At the end of the day, if you're leading an organization and that's your main thing, you want to be making fans of the organization. Now, if you have leadership capacities outside of that, that's fine. You know, If you want people to, to view you as a leader in a certain space and speaking and whatever else, that's a, that's a different thing to balance. But in the context of a, of a leader in an organization, that leader should always be building up super fans for the organization rather than for themselves. And if they're, if they're leading an organization and building up fans for themselves, then that seems like there's some misalignment or misconnection there. But I wonder if the two don't feed each other. I can see how really easily if a leader's creating super fans for himself or herself, that that, that could be very ego-driven. But at the same time, if if the, the leader is, is creating super fans, then that, that would often, I think, come back to the organization. 
it seems like to be a tough balance to find, but a lot of the best organizations I see seem to have leaders who do have these almost cult-like followings. Yeah, because it, I think the question could be asked, how do you turn it off? If you're leading an organization and you go home, do you at that point stop being a leader? I mean, people are going to see you out in the street doing your daily life. Should they still view you as a leader when you're outside of that role? It's that, it's that age-old question. As As you become a leader, how much of your life should be for the image of the organization. Mm-hmm. Because when you become a figurehead, all of a sudden it's hard to separate what you do as the you know, private self and the public self. And mm-hmm. that's just that's one of those things that as you become a leader higher up, you have to be more aware of your actions and, and how those are interpreted by other people. It's it, the, I don't think there's an easy answer. The the stronger a organization is connected to a leader, the more important it is that leader is representing the organization well. And that ties into um, the work-life balance that Pat brought up. So how do you um, balance your work life, your leadership roles, your organizational roles with your personal life? Because recently in the news, burnout has now been an official diagnosis. Like it's a real thing. I'm sure most of your listeners may have known that it was a real thing long before it was official. Um, So how as leaders do you balance that and keep that from happening? I think a lot of that comes back to what Pat was also saying in the interview about being yourself. You got to figure out who you are, even apart from the organization. I would assume with all that Pat has going on, he's got his hands in, it sounds like a dozen different projects at the same time. But it also sounds like he's got a really strong grasp on who he is. Even the Back to the Future stuff, at one point he mentioned he spends a lot of money on Back to the Future. He's obviously got things that that he's passionate about on the side. And that's that's been one thing I've, I've wrestled with across the last six months or so as I lead an organization is where does my life start and my organizational life stop? And that's hard to find sometimes. So I just had to intentionally develop some disciplines outside. And and the, part of the problem for me is my mind never stops, though. When I'm thinking about the organization, it's constantly going through my head. And so even though I might have this activity's organizational, this one's personal, mentally, there really is no clear break. And so I've, I've wrestled with that. But I think for me, it comes back to, am I passionate about what I'm doing, even with the organization? Well, even if I have other things that I do, hobbies outside, mm-hmm. I can still go all in with the organization pretty much all the time because that's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And I think the, the work-life balance and the burnout question are, are connected probably. At the same time, I think that there are a lot of people who are experiencing burnout or just, you know, getting super tired out. And a, a lot of that is, is connected to, to not having super strong community and it's like when you leave your work do you have a life you know that's that's one of those questions that a lot of people don't necessarily have a whole lot beyond work as far as meaningful relationships and really wholesome wholesome things and then all of a sudden that kind of drives you to work is your thing wherever you can find that that sense of community or sense of purpose and then it's almost because you don't have the life balance that it drives you more toward work. And that's not, I'm not saying that's everyone's problem. I think that is a factor as far as burnout goes today, though. And I think what Pat said when he was talking about this work-life balance is you'll never have 50-50. It'll never yeah. be perfect. But he talked about if you go all in on work, for instance, make sure that season comes to an end and you have mm-hmm. a, a time in a certain place where you shift your attention. That's what I struggle with is making yeah. sure I shift my attention back and so I think that was really helpful advice, something I'm going to take to heart and try to apply is, is what season season am I in, mm-hmm. and then how can I shift that season at, a, at the appropriate time? There's a concept called deep work. Um, 
I Cal, Cal Newport yeah, wrote that, the book. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's really helpful for, you know, generating this work-life balance because if you have a set time to do deep work for 30 minutes and you're not focused on anything else, anything in your personal life, you've turned off all distractions, I think that can help you to be more productive and maybe create a more of a barrier between work and your personal life. In that book, Deep Work by Cal Newport, he talks about at the end of his day, he has a ritual where he he shuts everything down. It's about 15 to 20 minutes, he says, where he takes stock of what he's done, what still needs to be done. He closes it off mentally. He tries to leave everything there. And he said it took him a little while to get to that point, but he's able now to have this ritual where his day ends, his work is over, and he can totally focus on family or other responsibilities he has for the evening. I think that's a great idea, not something I currently do, but I can really see the value of that. And it's really something that that could be meaningful to a lot of people is leave work here, have a ritual to end the day, and mm-hmm. then shift your, your your balance over to life now. So I don't do that on a weekly basis. Um, I'm sorry, on a daily basis, but I do work from home. And I do have a, a ritual on Fridays when I'm done with work. I shut everything down. I put all of my work equipment away in a room that I'd never go in because it's got to be out of sight because I've got to just clear my headspace. Like I am done with work. It's time to have fun and do something else. Yeah. So one of the things, speaking of fun, that Pat talked about is in the development of these super fans, creating these moments that really stick in people's minds. I'm wondering, can you think of times in your lives when leaders develop these moments that really stuck out to you for whatever reason? I don't have any really big ones that come to mind, but several smaller ones. So I've gotten personal notes from leaders before. That really meant a lot. They took time out of their day. They might not have even known me that well to send me a note, a couple lines. That's the sort of thing I'll hold on to, and it means a lot. On Instagram before, I've, I've commented on somebody's post, someone who would never know who I was or care who I was necessarily, then they'll like it. Really easy thing for them to do, but it just says, "Hey, this person who's you know got however many million followers is saw something I posted, and they appreciate their, their it. team was willing to take the time. Yeah, exactly. Like they had a great social media team, but just something small like that. And, and I get that how superficial that is on Instagram, but I still felt that connection. So I think just basic basic things like that uh, of going a little above and beyond, a little extra, trying a little harder to show some appreciation. Yeah, Bevelin, how about you? Um, so I do have an, a note experience. We had been through an incredibly a busy season at work and my boss took the time to write each of us a handwritten thank you letter which that's a part of our job we should be doing it anyways but she went the extra mile to acknowledge all that we had done and that meant so much so much um, and then the other time um, my mentor in grad school um, there was a conference going on that you know had a lot of valuable information to be shared and he just you know sent me on the trip mm. You know, to San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't I've never been to San Francisco and I wasn't expecting to go. But that was so awesome that he took that upon himself to send me there so that I could, you know, be a part of it and experience that. Yeah, I have, I have a throwback to Boy Scouts. I was pretty young. We were going on a camping trip going down south and all of a sudden our couple of vans stopped at the University of Southern Mississippi and we didn't really know what was happening and our, our scoutmaster said hey y'all go ahead and get out of the car and we went into the stadium and we watched the Harlem Globetrotters totally unexpected had no idea I assumed that our parents knew but for whatever reason uh, they were able to get tickets and we stopped and we went to the game and then went camping it was a really cool side trip along the way that none of us expected but made the trip really memorable 
And here we are, however many years later, and it, you're still talking about it. That's right. So Pat talked about creating quick wins. He used the example of, of a guy he followed online, and he got a script where he could just call the cable company and save 20% and yeah. tried mm-hmm. it out, and it worked. And so it, I was wondering, in, in our lives, how do we create some of these quick wins, even if it's just interpersonally? How do we mm-hmm. create quick wins for people to where they feel like, hey, that was good, I accomplished something, or I received something from that, that can then lead them further along? I think for me is breaking a huge task down into smaller things so that I can say, hey, I accomplished this today. This is my win um, versus, oh, it's going to take me 15 years to accomplish this. It's so daunting. Um, but yeah, it, you got to keep people motivated and want to continue on. Yeah, I think part of it is having, once again, having those those moments that Pat Flynn talked about. That could be a great way of doing it. Another one is more general. So as you're listening to this, just think about what it means for your own context. But kind of to Bevelin's point, what are some of those some of those things that you know about that other people don't know about that you can just give to them real, real fast? So one mm-hmm. of the things that Pat Flynn does is he he's a podcaster, but he also helps podcasters, and he has this this cheat sheet that you can go through that helps you figure out the key things that you need to get started. Other people have have similar types of things, um, and so what what are some of those things that you know about that other people don't that you can just give to them real quick. And that could be person to person or it could be an online situation like Pat does. And Pat said, if you change, you want to change someone's life in the long term, change your life today, give them something today that'll change your life. Yeah. So just that, that basic piece of insight, wisdom, something you've experienced can help out. That's, that's a really good point. So, so one of the things that Pat also mentioned is the importance of serving first without asking for anything in return. And I'm wondering, is this something that, First of all, do businesses do that well? And then do leaders do that well? I don't think businesses often do this well. The reason I say that is because when they do it well, it really stands out to me. So I went to Home Depot the other day, was looking for for a fluorescent light bulb, which they don't really sell much anymore. Well, this guy says, well, you can buy this one, or he takes me back to the back of the store and shows me where they have them on clearance. The secret stash. The secret stash. I didn't know they had clearance mm. at Home Depot. So I got it for, I think, 25% of the price, and I ended up getting 10 of them. So I guess they made more money in the long run. Wow. But but I, I did that because he went above and beyond, and he served me well. But that's, that's unusual. I can't tell you the last time I was at a store where that happened or I contacted customer service where that sort of thing happened. Yeah, and I think for smaller businesses, especially stuff online, people do a better job about that because they're, they're trying to grow in that space. For, for larger, more well-established companies, they don't necessarily need to. So when they do, it, it's very impressive. I've, I've heard about the early days of Zappos, a couple different stories. I'm sure they're written in some book and that's why they're cited so much. But, you know, someone calls up and it, this may be wrong, but calls up and asks for a pizza from a shoe store and they say, Hey, we'll get it to you. You know, like <laughs> that type of stuff. How, how can you satisfy the customer in whatever way you possibly can? I think going back to, you know, Pat basically talking a lot about servant leadership without actually mentioning it. I think as leaders, that's the way you get people to follow you. You have to serve first. It's kind of like, which came first, the chicken or the egg. I think servanthood has to come first. So as a follow-up, you know, as leaders, are there some general things that we should do to serve others? Your example of your boss writing you a note, mm-hmm. you know, what, what a simple thing for your boss to do, but meant a whole lot. 
Uh, I, in, in my role as a pastor, I'm around a lot of people who are in different situations where t- stuff is hard in their lives. And I've recently visited someone at the hospital going through a tough time. And it was a small thing for me. It was an investment of 30 to 45 minutes of my day. But that meant so much to this person. I don't know if, if she would be considered a super fan now, but but she knows that there's a level of investment on my part beyond mm-hmm. simply you know saying, hey, on a Sunday morning. So something like that, just a slightly above and beyond, I've, I've realized in my own life, how easy it is to do, but how infrequently I still do it. So just, just being there for someone when they move, uh, I've offered mm-hmm. to help people move and they were shocked because no one else had ever offered to help them move before. Hmm. That's, that's incredibly small, but helping mm-hmm. somebody move, writing them a note, being there, you know, taking them out for dinner, giving them a gift card so they can take their family out to dinner. All those things are really small, but they mean a lot to people because people mm-hmm. aren't used to being served. And that's yeah. incredible to me uh, because I guess I'm surrounded by people who, who are great leaders who serve me well. And so I'm used to that. Now I'm thinking, okay, I've got to turn around and give that to other people. Yeah. I think, I think one of the most difficult and yet most important parts of leadership is having your head above the fray, being able to think in ways like that, think in ways that no one else are thinking. Like, how can I serve people? How can I make someone's day better? How can Mm -hmm. I be looking out for people? And like I said, I think that's one of the hardest things to do because for any of us, it's so easy to get caught up in the things that we're doing every day that we can get focused on ourselves. But a good leader is going to be looking out for other people saying, how can I help make things better for people? How can I serve people? How can I look out for people? And how can I basically help us to continue working toward our goal together? Mm-hmm. And if you can if you can have that mentality, even if you're not a leader by your position, then you're going to be a leader within whatever group that you're working. So it sounds like just giving people our most valuable resource, our time, hmm. um, is a good way of serving from what both of y'all have said. Yeah, that's a good way to conclude it, I think. Let's go ahead and move to our key takeaways for today. If you could leave listeners with a few things from this interview with Pat, what would those things be? There are three that were really helpful to me that, that I'm going to take away from this interview and keep using in my life. The first is create those unexpected, meaningful, personal interactions that, that almost shock people out of their normal routine. The second is intentionally help people achieve quick wins in your area of influence, whether that's in a conversation or they're working on a project. Help them discover and experience those quick wins. And finally, in your leadership, you don't need a 1,000 followers. You need 50 super fans, or you don't need 100 followers. You need 10 super fans. You don't need to focus on the numbers, the big numbers. Focus on creating those people who actually matter in terms of your leadership. I had three as well. Um, Be open to feedback, you know, seeking wise counsel and having uh, a good solid uh, sounding board um, is critical. Um, Failure is an option. um, And when we fail, we should seek to learn from that experience. Um, And then his concept of just in time learning something that's really daunting, breaking it down. What's the next thing that I need to Mm -hmm. figure out to get this accomplished? Yeah. And I also have three. The first is if you want to change your followers' lives, start by changing their day. The second one is when you get started somewhere, don't let that be where you stop. Look for new opportunities to grow and expand your influence. And Pat did that really well early in his career, and he's continued to do that, and that's led to a lot of his success. And finally, if people follow you for being you, they'll stay committed to you for that same reason. So don't sweat the small stuff when when small things happen. Don't let that deter you. Keep on being you and being the leader that people started following. Well, Bevelyn, Elijah, thank you for joining the podcast and sharing your insight this week. Thanks for letting this us join. Great. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. 
If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And three, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will help to make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and, frankly, better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.